So we're going to dive in and we're going to tackle verses 6 and 7 of Colossians 2 today. And it's very practical. Uh, what Paul has to say here to the church at Colossae, really it's interesting because it's not new. It's something he's been reminding this church. A, a lot of what we see today, we can easily go back to chapter 1 and see tone and some of the ideas being communicated. And, and what he's going to communicate this morning is coming on the heels of the importance of the believer maturing in Christ. This is what we looked at together last week as we were talking about the dangers of not maturing. And in other words, if you come to faith in Christ but are not growing, you're not maturing, there's dangers that are presented then. There's, there's dangers even if you are growing and maturing, but you are much more likely to fall victim of the da- to the dangers if you're not growing and maturing. And again, our illustration or example we used last week, one that makes absolute sense to everybody that's ever had a kid and understands is um, when your kids are small, right, they are uh, privy to more dangers because they don't know, because they're unaware. They don't know intrinsically that the stove is hot. They don't know intrinsically that if you stick stuff in an outlet, you get electrocuted, right? And, and so as a believer in Christ, we must be growing. We must be growing in our knowledge and understanding of God's word so that we're not caught off guard. So we're not surprised by the hot stove when, when we touch it or when it comes into our lives. So that we're not surprised by the shock that we get from the electrical current. So as a believer, we're not surprised when we face opposition in this world. So as a believer, when things are presented that look good and they might even sound good, they might even have some truth to them, we must be growing so that we can identify when those things aren't consistent with God's word. Need I remind you that even Satan quoted scripture. So everything with a Bible verse attached to it doesn't necessarily mean that we, we can latch on to that, right? And so we have to be growing and maturing. Christian maturity is a must because there are those who desire to cause you to stumble. And, and lots of times I say we, and it's a plural sense, and I think the f- emphasis of we can get lost. So let me be a little more direct. You must be maturing as a follower of Jesus. You and I, as individuals, must be maturing. And the heart of Paul's exhortation to the Colossians this morning is is the exhortation to walk in Christ. Sometimes we have to say to our kids, they'll be doing stuff, and we have to say, act like you got some sense. Maybe you've said that to your kids, maybe you haven't. And in some ways, I kind of hear that. I'm not reading into the text, and I'm not saying that the Apostle Paul would have written it this way. But sometimes I feel like as, as the churches are being reminded, as the churches are being encouraged, sometimes it's almost like I can hear Paul saying, now Colossians, act like you got some sense. Act like you know the things that I've told you, that there are enemies who will oppose you, who are trying to trip you up. Therefore, to act like you have some sense would be to walk according to what you know to be true, to live in it, to, to grow He says, having received the gospel of Jesus Christ, now walk. 
I, 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 I assume it goes without being said, but I'm going to say it anyways. You cannot walk in Christ if you don't have Christ. And I know lots of times that's a message that is frowned upon. What do you mean I don't have Christ? How can you tell me? How can Look, I'm not the discerner of your heart, but I do pray that you would be challenged by God's word. If you feel as though it has been habitually difficult to walk with Christ, if you feel like you're still given to sin, if you feel like you're still prone to pursue the things of the world and the things of the flesh, maybe you don't yet have Christ. I don't know your heart. I'm not casting that on anyone. I'm just simply asking and encouraging you to ask that of yourself. Maybe that's why it's hard to live the Christian life. You might have a cognitive understanding, and so with a cognitive understanding comes the personal ability to try and live the Christian life. You can't do it. You can't do it. You live the Christian life when you receive Jesus because you believe by faith in the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of sins to the glory of the Father. And you live in light of that message. And recall back in chapter 1, verse 7, that Paul, he, he, he says this very thing. He reminds them how it is that they came to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a, a faithful brother who proclaimed the truth. His name was Epaphras. He had come to them. He would proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ. And the Colossians believed it to salvation. And now that they've been reconciled to God, Paul is encouraging them to walk in light of the fact that they have Christ. And a theme in Paul's letter to the Colossians is that they have Christ in them. They are in Christ. We said this early on in chapter 1. The whole foundation of what Paul is writing to the Colossians is about a supernatural union that takes place between sinful man and holy God when you're reconciled to that God through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You cannot observe it empirically. Okay, You cannot have an empirical experience, that is you verify it with one of your senses, that you are in union with Jesus. It's something that you believe by faith when you believe the gospel by faith. I'm in Jesus Christ. And now I walk or I live in light of that. To walk in Christ is the antithesis of how you walked before him. You understand that? You cannot claim to walk in Christ if your walk is the same as it was before you would say you were in Christ. Being in Christ has radical implications upon our lives. And this is what Paul is reminding the believers here when he talks about Epaphras and he, and he, and he sends them back to uh, what they have previously received, chapter 1, verse 7. And this is why Paul begins our text in verse 6 with the word, therefore. He's reflecting back on what he has written previously about how they've been brought near to God and how they are no longer living or walking according to their previous lives. Instead, live your life 
Live in light of the fact that you have received Jesus, is the exhortation. And Paul doubles down, as we've seen with the word therefore, on this notion this morning. And next week, Paul, we will see, begins a full-on assault where he discusses the various specifics or specific avenues that people were seeking to persuade the Colossians from what they had believed from their brother Epaphras. Now, some scholars suggest that the passage we are starting today, down through verse 15 of chapter 2, is the heart of Paul's letter to the Colossians. That the, the passage we are getting ready to begin tackling this morning is the very heart of this whole letter. And Douglas Moo, in his commentary on Colossians, says that this verse, that is verse 6, in this section is to be regarded as the heart of the entire letter. So you've got a, a, an idea or a theme in the middle that kind of serves as, uh, in some ways, a bridge from one part to the next, but also like this is the heart, but then here is the specifics, as we're going to see in just a second in verse 6. It serves as a major hinge between what we saw starting in chapter 1, verse 3, down through chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. And then what follows this morning all the way through chapter 4, verse 6. This verse 6, one verse, is the hinge. And Paul writing says this, beginning in verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our text this morning begins with a very clear admonition from Paul to the Colossians. Walk in Christ. This is verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in Christ. The life of the believer continues just as it begun or began in Christ. The goal here is that the believer would live in light of the life that was established when they believed in Christ for salvation when they heard from Epaphras. That's Paul's desire for them. That's that's Paul's goal. And verse 6, it's a two-clause statement. First, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Second, walk in him. Those are your two clauses as found in verse 6. The first clause, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, is a reflection of who the Colossians are. They are believers who are in Christ Jesus. Paul establishes a reminder to them of who they are. They are in Christ. And Paul has covered this quite a lot up to this point. We've already mentioned this morning the reality of the the union between sinful man and God through Christ that Paul talked about early on in this letter. And so I want to let some of that lie and focus on the second clause of Paul here this morning. He reminds the Colossians who they are and then exhorts them. So walk in him. Walk in the one in whom you are, who you belong to. You see, reality is, having received Christ, the Colossians are now to be guided, okay, by the lordship of Christ in their thinking and their acting. 
Now, I, I, I want to be careful, and I want to say this, and again, it may be one of those things that can go without being said, but the believers are guided in their action and their thinking by the lordship of Jesus in their lives because they have received him. They don't, you, you can't be guided by God and then receive him. Does that make sense? You, you can't follow God, just like we said a minute ago. You can't walk in Christ if you're not in, you can't walk in Christ if you're not in relationship with Christ. And so Paul's exhortation here is, look, understand, believers in Colossae, now that you are in Christ, he's Lord over your life. You walk with him. You pursue his desires. You, you desire and you seek to walk in such a way that you are growing more and more in tune with the heart of God for you and for others. We literally just sang a song and, and it kind of, it really encapsulates it well. A couple of the songs that we sang encapsulate this idea well, right? Take all I have. Take all that I have. And before that we sang, my heart is yours. This is a reality of being in Christ. You are not you anymore. Paul told the church at Corinth that he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Paul would tell the church at Galatia, in chapter 2, verse 20, in the book of Galatians, that the life that he lives is not his life. It's not about him. It's about the one who lives in him, Christ. And so there's this fundamental... Fun- this, is, this is part of what I think plagues the church today. We got a lot of people running around claiming Jesus and living for themselves. When you claim Jesus and you have received him as Savior, and you are in Christ, you are dead. Your life is over in the sense that it's about you. There's a greater plan and purpose, right? You guys like that? You know, we all hear these, God has a purpose for your life. Jesus loves. There's a plan for all of our lives. It's true. There is a plan and a purpose. That was the inside joke from our men's study. Sorry. (laughs) The Jesus loves. And then the guy started laughing, and so then I started laughing. But to live in Christ, to have Christ as Savior, to be in union with Christ, is foundationally to understand that your life is not about you. So you walk in Christ in such a way that advances the cause of Christ, that brings glory to Christ. To live under the lordship of Jesus requires submission to all of his ways and to all of his teachings. There's too much picking and choosing. There's a golden corral church. We'll take what we want, we'll leave what we don't. You've not believed the biblical gospel. Because the biblical gospel is Christ died for the wretch that you are. And in dying for the wretch that you are, when you believe, you are reconciled to a holy God. There's things I don't understand because in my finite mind, I can't. Why and how a perfect God would redeem a sinful person, I don't know. 
other than for his good pleasure. Why he would do things the way he's done them, why he would take on flesh himself to be brutally beaten and murdered for the sake of sinful man, I don't know, other than according to his good pleasure. And so when we understand when we understand the realities of the gospel, of really comprehending being separated from God and now being in union with God, it should not be a difficult transition to understand that I, I probably should do what he says. Because he did for me what I can't do for myself. I could not save myself. And so if I'm going to do what he says, I have to have knowledge of what he has said. This is that whole conversation about maturing in Christ, knowing what God's word says, knowing what God expects of us from his word. And to live under the lordship of Christ means that we submit to all of his ways and teachings, not the ones we like, not the ones that advance our agenda, not the ones that get us what we want, but all of them. And this is encompassed in that first clause of receiving Christ. Again, to reference Mu in his commentary on the Colossians, he says that to receive Christ is not only a matter of believing in the person of Christ, it also involves a commitment to the apostolic teaching about Christ and his significance. Believing in Jesus for salvation is not just, oh yes, there was a guy named Jesus who was from God and died for sin. Do you when you when you when you believe in Jesus, it means you believe in and you embrace what he taught, who he was, what he said, what he stood for. You ready for this? What he was against. To be in Jesus is not simply an identification with a public figure or a person. To truly receive Christ is to live in light of him and his teachings. And walking in Christ is to be the goal for the believer. But again, this is not a new idea to the Colossians. If we go back to chapter 1, he uses a phrase where he speaks of living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. You cannot live for yourself and live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. You cannot pursue your own agenda and your own ideals and expect to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Now, before anybody goes off the rails, yeah, there is a reality where you can very well do the things that you love to the glory of God and God can use you in them for that. That can be part of his plan for your life. What I'm talking about is a willful abstinence to what is clear in God's word as a matter of, I just don't want to do that. I just don't like that. I just don't agree with that. We cannot function walking with Jesus when we're at odds with what his word has revealed. And the NLT renders this clause here in verse 6 this way. You must continue to follow him. You must continue to follow him. And I love what's being communicated here in the NLT. Continue. That is to communicate to the Colossians that they are in fact walking in Christ. But he says keep doing it. Why the exhortation to continue to walk in Christ? Because there's opposition trying to keep them from walking in Christ. And so Paul says, continue in Christ. There's those who would desire 
that you would not walk with Jesus. There are those that desire that you would not pursue the things of God. There are those that would desire that you would go off course and embrace things that are contrary to God's word. After all, the age-old question, right off the cuff, I think the very first question asked in Scripture is this. Did God really say? Did God really say that if you eat of that fruit, you will die? Did God really say that a believer who professes Christ and is, is claiming to be a Christian should walk in ways that are pleasing to him? You see, the world would tell you no. Sadly, many churches would tell you no. But that's not what God's word says. Did God really say believers ought to walk in Christ? That's exactly what it said. And those who profess Christ ought to walk in Christ. Continue. Don't deviate. Stay the course. Persevere. Press on. Endure. Carry on. Continue. This is the message of Paul. And Paul will go from his message to a series of analogies to try to hammer this message home. If you're going to walk in Christ, if you're going to continue in Christ, Paul is going to give some illustrations or analogies here of what you can do or pictures that you can resonate with that say, if I can be like this, if I can achieve this, if I can have this be true about my life in Christ, then I can continue walking in him. He says in verse 7, walk in him rooted is the first thing he says, rooted. Now I want you to know that I, I wrote this before it stormed Friday. And many of you have seen pictures, trees down all over the place, barns blown over, power lines down. It was pretty crazy um, over the course of the last couple of days, Friday when this storm moved through. But you know what's incredible to me? That as much as that storm came through and there's been reports of tornadoes and I, I don't really know, here's what I know at some points, it was really, really windy and destruction and damage came with it. And back and forth to Evansville yesterday, you could see trees down all over the place, laying right up against the highway, out in fields, whatever. But it was always interesting to me that you would see a tree that was blown down in the midst of a bunch of trees that weren't. In the same force of wind hit every one of those trees and one fell or two fell. Others didn't. Now, I, I'm not, you know, a scientist, but it's reasonable to expect and understand that the reason for this is simple. The root structure of the trees that fell was not as deep or solid and strong as the ones that didn't. It's a very fitting picture. I've, I've, we've talked about this before. You know, you read the Psalms and it talks about the blessed is a man who is it's like a tree planted by the streams of water. And you guys have all seen this picture of where a creek has ran and it has eroded the ground. And you can see, like you get a side view of all the roots of the tree and just how big and wide they are under the ground. Under normal circumstances, you can't see them. You see, if a plant is going to withstand the pressure and the elements of the world and the weather and everything that, that beats up against those trees, then it must be rooted down deep. Trees that have a weak root system don't last. 
professing believers in Jesus who have a weak root system don't last. And so Paul says, as you walk, be rooted. It's understood by this culture, this concept of being rooted, but also, once again, this letter. Paul, go back to chapter 1. He talks about living a life that's pleasing to the Lord and doing what? Bearing fruit. Trees with bad root systems don't bear fruit. Trees that are not firmly rooted and established, we're going to look at this in just a second, don't bear fruit. I bought a stupid lemon tree and a stupid orange tree. I'm getting the look from my wife. Like four years ago now, and we're yet to get a single piece of fruit. Because they live in a pot that's as big as this stool. Big around, it ain't even that deep. I don't know how many years it takes to get a lemon. Huh? Oh, I have unrealistic expectations. It takes five to six to get a piece of fruit. Nonetheless, the illustration stands. What kind of root system, after four years... Does a lemon tree in a pot have? It's not a vibrant one yet. The roots are small. They're short. The tree is not ready to bear fruit. Fruit hanging off of a tree with a weak root system will cause the tree to fall. It will cause the tree to be no good, ineffective, useless, with the exception of firewood. And so it is with the believer. Bear fruit is the exhortation in chapter one. Be rooted, be firmly grounded, bear fruit. Have solid roots and a root system that allows you to be productive for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be productive for Jesus when we're twigs. Trees that are twigs produce no fruit. And so it is with twiggy believers. And for the believer, the only strong and solid root is Christ. That's the foundation of the the root system that allows one to, to bear fruit. But Paul doesn't stop at one analogy. He goes on to a second. Rooted, he says, and be built up. In the same way as Christ is the source of a solid root, he's also the foundation upon which anything for God can be built. Must be built. You can build nothing for the cause of God or Christ apart from it being built on the foundation that is Christ. Scripture regards Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Now, I've never poured concrete, but I believe that what I've learned along the way is somewhat correct in my understanding that you pour a cornerstone first. Why? Because it allows your building to be square. You don't build four individual walls and try to stick them together with concrete. You build a cornerstone and you go out from there and build your structure. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which anything for the church must be built. 
The idea here that Paul is using when he talks about being built up in the original language, that is the Greek, is he's speaking in the sense of building something upon something else. You see, as believers in Jesus, to walk worthy, right, to walk in light of what's been revealed to us in Scripture, having believed the gospel, we cannot build our own foundation. We don't say, now that I have Jesus, I'm going to start working really hard, and I'm going to get this built up, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be awesome. No. No, anything that can be built is built on the cornerstone that is Jesus. The gospel and the flesh, Jesus came his message was preached by apostles, and churches were planted. And then those churches preached the same message that was built on the foundation that the apostles had laid that was Jesus. And so it is today. You and I, the believer, anyone trying to follow Jesus, is built up only upon the foundation that is Christ. And he says... Rooted, built up, established in the faith. You see, at the end of the day, when the believer in Christ begins their journey with Christ, by establishing roots that are to grow deeper by the habits of grace, then from those roots will come the building up. Okay? So as you come to know Christ, and as you walk in Him, habits of grace, we're talking about Bible study, prayer, fellowship, these kinds of things, then your roots expand and they grow. They get stronger. And when believers stick to their roots and they are built up, the establishing of their faith happens. You see, when you profess faith initially and you claim to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have all the answers. When you die, you still don't have all the answers, no matter how long it takes. But there's a reality that you ought to be growing and learning more than you knew when you trusted Christ. You must stick to the roots. As you stick to the roots and the foundation is built upon, that's how your faith grows. That's how you become stronger and more established. You interact with, with things that you don't know. You engage tough questions. You seek out answers from God's word. I've told you over the last few weeks, it will never be enough for you to just come to church on Sunday. Not to be firmly rooted, not to be built up and established. Just coming to church for 45 minutes, listening to me preach, will not be enough to firmly establish you in the Word of God. You must seek to grow through the habits of grace. But as you do that, I want to remind you, and this can be difficult. This can be tricky. This is why I think a lot of confusion exists. That even as you pursue the habits of grace, you are not the one who establishes your faith. Christ is. As you pursue him in his word and seek and strive to walk with him, and as you grow spiritually and you become more established, that's a testament to the work of God in you, not a testament to your work. There's a, a balance. 
I think it applies in a lot of areas of the Christian life between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. I don't know where all those lines are drawn, but I know what God's word says. It says, walk in Christ just as you have been taught. And while you do that, God will strengthen you. He will build you up. There is this ongoing process whereby your faith in the things of God grows. And Paul goes back to where he started with the phrase, as you were taught. You know these things, Colossians. So again, don't deviate from them. You're living, you're walking in light of what you know. Continue to do so. And once again, we see from the pen of the Apostle Paul that when somebody in Christ walks in Christ and has an, uh, an established faith that is growing, the natural overflow is thankfulness. He says, be established in the faith just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We've seen the exhortation of Paul for the believers to thankfulness for what Christ has done for them. And a growing and established believer has much to be thankful for. So it's a natural thing for Paul to say, be thankful. But I want you to understand something else. If a believer in Christ is thankful as opposed to critical, or we'll just use that, thankful as opposed to critical, the reality is a thankful heart will allow the Colossians to be more prepared for what they're getting ready to embark upon, what they're dealing with, the false teachers. Because here's the deal. If those in Christ don't have thankful hearts, and difficulty sets in, we may not ask the question, did God really say? But we do ask questions like this. If God's really good, why? If God really wants what's best for me, why is it so difficult? If God really wants me to grow, why is there so much pressure in the opposite direction? You see, that's a critical heart. That's a critical spirit. And Paul says that as you walk with Christ, as you continue to be built up and established, you're bound in thanksgiving. I don't know what God's doing, but I'm thankful that he's doing something. I don't know what God is teaching or working out in this moment, through this circumstance in my life, but I'm thankful he's teaching me something. I don't know how many of you guys know we're into sports and our family and our girls play sports. And a couple weeks ago, uh, Joy's team lost just a heartbreaker of a game. And one of the families that were there, I was not there at this particular game at this time. And one of the families that was there, their kids do everything with our kids. And, and it's almost like an extension of our family. And the father from this family, he hollered, uh, Joy needed to pick it up a little bit. And so he hollered at her, run like you're in a fight is what he told her. And the girls got beaten over time. It was, it was just a huge, big old thing. And Joy, was she, was she was really feeling the sting of defeat that day. And she came to Dad after the game, and she just melted in my chest. And so I'm trying not to laugh at her. And she knew this. She knows this now. But I said to her, honey, why are you crying? And she said, the dad's name is Kevin. She said, because Kevin yelled at me. And so then I looked at Jenna and almost just started laughing. And so we go full circle, and this gets back to Kevin, and he's, I mean, we laughed about it, but he texts me, and he's like, I'm so sorry, but just remind Joy, 
When I stop yelling, it means I don't care. When God stops teaching, you're in big trouble. When God stops forming you to be who he desires you to be, you're in big trouble. Now, I don't want to minimize what anybody is dealing with or going through. But in the midst of this life, in a world where God's word tells us we will have trouble and tribulation, God has promised that it's for a purpose. That there's a teaching, that there's a a molding, that there's a shaping that's taking place. And so even in the the, the worst circumstances, and again, I don't want to minimize any. Paul says, in Christ, you can be thankful. And you can have a thankful heart. In fact, it should be what abounds from your heart, is thankfulness to God. Because like I said earlier, guys, if it's not just for his good pleasure, we have no claim to the things of God. We have no claim to the goodness of God simply other than his good pleasure. And being negative and critical, it only opens the door for false teachers. It only opens the door for people to insert wedges of doubt and wedges of criticism that can take root and rob you of your joy. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. Keep walking in Christ. Be built up, be rooted, be established. And as that happens, the natural byproduct is a heart that is overflowing with thanksgiving to God for who he is and what he has done. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thankful for the fact that you are not done with us. Father, that there are things yet to be determined, yet to be worked out as it pertains to your uh, goals and desires that you would help us to be okay with that because in you this life is not our own ultimately God in you this life is about you it's for you and uh, we ought to make it our aim to walk in such a way that others would see and know the goodness of God in our lives father we thank you for the fact that you are not done with us that you are still teaching God that you're molding and it's a painful process I'll be honest this morning and say to be molded is a painful process. When the potter takes a ball of clay, by the time they're done, they have much less clay when they started. So it is, God, as you work on your people. You chip, and you chisel, and you erode, and you remove all for the purpose of shaping us into the very thing that you would have us to be. So help us today, God, that we might be rooted, that we might be being built up and established in our faith. Because the molding process can and often is very difficult. Because that's true, God, to withstand it, we must be being built up. So convict our hearts today, God. May we be honest. May we consider this morning just how firmly established we are. Just whether or not we're being built up, 
whether or not we're just going through the motions and our root system is weak and fragile. God, we need you to work in our hearts and our lives today. And we might see the truth of your word and that we might see the truth of our own lives. God, and that we might be willing God, for you to do your work in our lives, that we would persevere, that we would stick it out with a thankful heart because everything that you do is for our good. Work in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.